Hello and welcome back to my podcast, How to Flourish with me, Kerry Knight. If you're here as a first time listener, I just want to say a huge welcome and thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. If you're one of the people that are here all the time and come back time and time again, then I want to say a massive thank you to you too for your continued support. It means the absolute world. So this is part two of my breast cancer journey and today I'm going to be talking to you about surgery. So buckle up, get ready for my honest, sometimes humorous view of my breast cancer journey. So last we talked, we had been diagnosed 25th of August 2021 and I had to wait six weeks for my date of surgery, during which time, I can't lie, it was tough because I think once you're told that you have a cancerous tumour in your body, you start to see it as this kind of foreign body that's going to get bigger, it's going to spread, it's going to get worse. And you go into this kind of mindset that says, I've got to get it out. It's, it's, it's going to grow, it's going to spread, it's going to be awful. And the reality is, of course, that the NHS wouldn't put you in a position of risk. And that's what I just had to keep telling myself. I just had to keep telling myself that six weeks in the grand scheme of things won't make a big difference. And I don't know whether they did make a difference or whether they didn't. What I do know is that's not a healthy place for me to stay. So although my energy and my mind has drifted there over the last 10 months, I don't think it's somewhere that I need to to kind of keep any attention to. And I would say to anyone that's going through this currently, try to keep your mind very much in the present moment. Because I think one of the things that I know I did was I allowed my head to go too far into the future. And now, post chemotherapy and post radiotherapy it's very easy for my mind to go back to what was and neither one of those places is a healthy place for me to stay it just triggers me gets me upset and when you're in the thick of cancer treatment when you're on this production line the best advice I can give you is to take it one day at a time don't look any further forward than the 24 hours that you are in so 4th of October and let me tell you those six weeks they went by in a heartbeat they did actually go really quickly and I really thought they were going to drag Jack and I both said this is going to be the longest six weeks of our lives but actually it wasn't it really wasn't too bad in those six weeks I tried to just do as much normal things as possible you know I was still working out with my girls I was still doing my one-to-one clients albeit a little distracted and albeit I had bad days where you know the kind of weight of your diagnosis and the weight of what you've been told and the life-changing words you have breast cancer would just some days be too much but if I'm really honest with you in those six weeks I just kind of put it to the back of my head because that's how I functioned and I'm what I would like to think of as a pretty tough woman and I coach women how to get through these big life events and changes and so surely you would think that I'm then able to turn some of those skills on myself and I think I must have done because in in those six weeks I just tried to keep to a routine I tried to keep feeling as normal as possible and the other thing of course is that you know going into any kind of surgery you want to be as fit and healthy as you possibly can It's not a time to sit and just be sedentary and feel sorry for yourself. Now, it's okay to do that. And believe me, I had many, many days where I just wanted to sit on the sofa and cry. But I kept telling myself that if you can go into surgery, if you can go into this god-awful fucking shit show as fit and healthy as you can, then you will withstand it better. You will tolerate it all much better. So that's what I put my focus in. I put my focus in exercise, keeping active, because there are two things there. One, you're preparing yourself for surgery in a really proactive and productive manner. But two, you're protecting your mental health because your mental health, and I can I can only say this from personal, personal experience, my mental health has been absolutely battered these last 10 months absolutely battered and I'm a pretty resilient individual I've done lots of work on self I've done you know I've been through therapy but it has been really hard so for me the coping strategies that I had were to exercise and to move my body so in those six weeks that's kind of what I did I also probably drank more than I should I also probably ate my feelings a little bit but you know what I'm going to give myself a break over that because it's hard 
you know, being told you have cancer at 45, completely out of the blue, like no warning, no kind of just a little lump that it's, it's, it's life changing. It really is. Um, so yeah, I probably did drink a little bit more than I should. I'm talking about alcohol, of course, there. Um, but I think the one thing that I had to learn to do, and I'm still learning to do it today, is to hold myself with compassion. Because you go through this weird roller coaster of emotions that you scrutinise your lifestyle, you blame or seek to blame something for the reason that you've you've been given this diagnosis. And I just, I was just angry, angry. And then I was sad, but I was always kind of, well, how has this happened to me? Why has this happened to me? I'm fit. I'm healthy. I don't smoke. I don't drink to excess. I eat a really good diet. You know, why the fuck me? But of course the answer to that is, well, why not you? Cancer isn't, it's, you know, it's class blind. It's, it's one of those diseases that one in two of us will get, which is why I am so passionate about sharing my story because if it encourages one of you listening to this to check your breasts more to book the smear that you've been putting off to speak to a friend about have you checked your breast yet then it will reduce or at least reduce the mortality rates of breast cancer you know it's the most common cancer amongst women and yet we don't talk about it so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing and it's hard you know laying myself bare like this it's tough revisiting stuff from months and months and months ago it's really fucking tough but I'm determined to do it so the day of my surgery arrived 4th of October 2021 and it was a quiet morning in the house and I think just for Jack and I both you know this is the moment where we're going to go in we're going to get this tumor cut out of me they're going to go in and take some lymph nodes from me brilliant so to remind you of the surgery that I was given, my um, surgery was given a wide excision lumpectomy with a sentinel node biopsy. Now there are a range of interventions, surgical interventions that will be offered. It can be a full mastectomy, that's where they take all of the breast tissue away, fold the skin flaps in and you have a straight scar. You can have a mastectomy with a re reconstruction, so that's where they will reconstruct your breast with silicon. You can have breast conserving surgery, which is where you have a lumpectomy or a quadrantectomy, which is very, very, that's not very used. Lumpectomy and wide excision lumpectomy, which is a wider, exactly as it says really, scar are breast conserving surgery. And for me, my tumour was 13 millimetres long. It was in the breast tissue, kind of above my breast on my right chest wall. And I was told a lumpectomy with the sentinel node biopsy is the way to go. And to remind you, the sentinel node biopsy is where they take uh, three to five lymph nodes from your axilla under your armpit because that's where your, dra your brain drains to first. So your lymphatic system is like a series of motorways and A-roads through your body that clears lymph through your system, clears waste products through your system. So it's part of your immune system. And your breast drains into, that's the first place it will go. So why do they do that? Because if the cancer has started to spread, that's the first indication of that. So fine, had I had I digested all of that information at that point in time? No, I don't think I had. I just was going in. I'd heard the words, this is curative surgery. Had I really fully accepted that? No, I don't think I had because until all of the variables for me are, yep, you're fine, you're clear. So your lymph nodes are clear, your bone scan is clear, your CT scan is clear. Until all of those factors have come together to say to me, you're clear, I didn't believe I was cancer free. Now that might seem to some of you a really, a really kind of pessimistic view on the world, but I am a control freak. That's just the way I am. I dot I's, I cross T's, and I don't like gray areas. It's black or it's white. If you give me gray areas, I will just be curious. Well, why? And what can I do to make that black? Or what can I do to make that white? It's just who I am. And the one thing that I've learned to accept over the last 10 months is to, to accept who you are, you know? That self-acceptance is so important when it comes to as we age and becoming happy in the skin that we're in and not fighting against, you know, against shit. Because I'd always been wrestling with my weight, my body image, the way I looked. And actually those things become so much less important in the face of a diagnosis like I had. So morning arrived. I had done my prep. Now, those of you that know me, will know that I will not have gone into that surgery having not done my research. 
<laughs> which and I don't mean Google Doc. I mean, I had done my research. So I joined a Facebook group, um, a breast cancer community. I'll talk more about that in a separate podcast because it has its good, but it also has its not so good. But I joined this community and I went in there and said, for those of you that have had lumpectomies, hospital bag, what do I need to take? What do I need to expect? What are the things? So I'm going to give you now my top tips on getting through uh, a lumpectomy for those of you that might be behind me in my journey, might know somebody, or for those of you that are just a bit curious. So hospital bag. In my hospital bag, I had a comfortable, non-underwired bra. Now, for me, that's a sports bra. I, I wear them predominantly all the time anyway, but the bras that zip at the front, they're fine too. But comfy, breathable, supportive sports bra, number one. Second was a zip-up top. So something that you didn't have to pull over your head because you can't lift your arms above shoulder height. I mean, you can't really move your arms when you come out, to be perfectly honest, but a zip-up top, which is a good thing for me because I live in hoodies and I'd have been walking out of the hospital in my bra. Not the way you want to leave hospital. So a hoodie. Um, I also took in with me fluffy socks, slippers, dressing gown, because I didn't know how long I'd be waiting around. So plus my iPad, charger, headphones, phone, and a book, because I don't always want to look at a screen. Sometimes I want to look, look at a book. I also took in paracetamol, because when I get stressed, I get headaches. So I took my paracetamol and I took a great big litre bottle of water, because I was nil by mouth, of course. So I could just have my water there when I came out of surgery and sip, 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 sip. So that was my hospital bag. And I think it's a really important thing to say because I really hadn't thought through the whole hoodie thing. I just hadn't thought it through. <laughs> so that was in my hospital bag. And then getting there, we had to be there for 7am. I was nil by mouth from midnight. And again, the journey we took together was a really quiet journey. Now, Jack and I generally chat away, but it was a quiet journey. I think both of our minds probably subsumed by what was ahead and in different ways I now know um, and I'll talk more about that in a second but so we got to the hospital we were there about quarter to seven Jack doesn't like to get anywhere late so we're always chronically early not a bad thing and got my bag out got my letter out so that I knew what which part of the hospital I was going to we we're in the Royal Devon and Exeter down here in Devon huge great big place not into the oncology ward, ward of course I was going to surgery so off we trundle and we go to the pre-surgical ward. Now, I know I should have expected this given the time and COVID, but I wasn't ready for the nurse to come out of the ward and say, okay, sir, that's as far as you go. And my heart jumped up into my throat and I looked at him, I thought, oh, Jesus. And, you know, I'm a pretty tough, independent woman, but my husband is my best friend and my husband is my support system. And the idea that he might not be able to come into that ward with me terrified me. Now that, it terrified me. My view on that would go on to change as treatment progressed. But for that moment, in that moment, I was really shit scared. And I just looked at him and he put his arms around me, gave me a big kiss, said he loved me, and then went, go smash it, turned and walked away. He didn't even look back. Now, my husband is a really strong, stoic man, but I could see just by the fact he didn't look back at me, I knew that he was struggling. So the nurse said, come on then, off we trot. <laughs> well, okay, fine. So you walk into this ward and it's a really busy, bustling ward. It's a pre-surgical ward. So there aren't just people in there for breast cancer surgery. There are people in there for all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff, really busy surgical board. The surgeons are kind of milling around in their, their white wellies and scrubs and masks. There's nurses bustling about. There was a shift change happening. It was all go. And let me tell you, that was absolutely overwhelming for me, just completely overwhelming. And you walked in, they're all very friendly. It's all very lovely. But this was a big day for me. This was a big fucking day. And to walk into kind of all these people talking about last night's shift and these difficult patients and, oh, what are you having for your breakfast? And the smell of breakfast on other wards made me feel sick to my stomach. I was so anxious. I was so worried. I don't like general anaesthetics and general anaesthetics don't like me. I also, on top of that, had this worrying, nagging anxiety of, will they get, will they get it all? Will they be able to go in there and get the whole tumour out? Will I have clear margins? Will it have spread? Will they need to take the breast off? Will I need to have a hysterectomy? And your catastrophic thinking just kicks in. 
And the nurses are great, but they're not they're not oncology nurses. They are pre-surgical nurses. So they are there with a production line, with a surgical list, and you are but a number on that list. Now, I'm not criticising the NHS there, and please don't hear it as such. I'm very grateful for our, our NHS. But the pressure that is on our NHS became really clear to me as my cancer treatment progressed. We are woefully underfunded and we are woefully understaffed. And in that pre-surgical ward, I just felt like a number. Now, I'm not all that sure that that was a terribly bad thing because I think if I'd had somebody there to indulge me and to sit down and let me talk, I think I probably would have been a little bit more upset, probably cried a bit more. But as it was, I just had to kind of dig deep, suck it up and get the fuck on with it because you have no other option, Kerry. You are here. You're going in for surgery. These nurses are all busy. You can't be a burden to them. So put your big girl pants on and let's get this done. And that's kind of what I did. So I was shown to my little chair and I would say there were probably 15 or 16 bays and there a chair with a curtain around it. Windows, which were all open because of COVID, which in October meant it was cold. So hence the fluffy dressing gown, all good. Sit down. And now today, all of the forms, they're all um, electronic. So they tend to drag these computers up on wheeling trolleys around with them with a badge that they swipe and they plug it in and it beeps at you. And it was all very, you know, kind of, oh, well, this is new. This is different. And you go through your normal thing, name, date of birth, address. Do you know why you're here? And then the question, so do you have your COVID swabs with you? And I sort of looked at her and, well, no. She tutted and huffed and she saw you were, you were sent a PCR test out. Well, no, I wasn't. Well, of course you were. You have to have your, you have to have a COVID test before you come into hospital. Speaking to me as if, you know, I should know this shit. And I, I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, well, I, I'm sure that's what should happen, but that's not what did happen. I, I haven't had a COVID test. Oh, for goodness sake. Now, let me tell you, at this point, my anxiety went just nuclear off the scale. I started to cry. I was shaking. And she looked at me and she said, oh, what's the matter? I said, well, please don't tell me that you're not going to be able to have my, like, I'm not going to be able to have my surgery. This is breast cancer surgery. I'm having a tumour removed. And it was like something clicked in her that she realised she was being a bit of a bitch. And she said, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, of course, no, it's fine. You're here nice and early. We can get you a COVID test done here. It just means that you might be put onto the afternoon list. I'm really sorry. I should have explained that to you. And I just sort of looked at her through my tears and went, well, yes, you should have done. Shaking. And so she sort of, and at that point, her outlook and attitude towards me changed a little bit. And is that a criticism? I mean, maybe, but I'm I'm just giving you my honest experience and preparing you for what for what might happen. Because contrary to what you might think, these nurses, they are busy, they are overworked, they're stressed, they're tired. They are wonderful people, but in that moment for her, all she saw was more paperwork. And I, I get it. But for me, that's my tumour staying in me for another however long. That's my cancer spreading. That's my mortality being put right in my face once again. So forgive me if I'm a little bit rude, but have a little bit more compassion. So anyway, COVID test was done. They're pleasant, aren't they? The whole shove the thing up the nose, shove the thing down the back of the throat. I won't miss them. I mean, I still have to do them because I'm still part of the vulnerable population, but ugh. Anyway, off it went. So then I said, well, can I have a glass of water? She said, yep, just sip your water, you're fine. So I had my water, thank. So sat, put my iPad on and just kind of zoned out. And then half an hour later, another nurse comes in, goes through the same name, date of birth, address, hospital number, NHS number, all of which, yep, 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 fine. Right, okay, Kerry. Um, I've just got to ask you a few questions now, pre-surgery. Like, yeah, okay, fine. And there was a question that came next that I just wasn't ready for. I just wasn't ready for it. Now, some some backstory for you here. Um, before I was diagnosed, Jack and I had suffered recurrent miscarriages, three to be specific. And it was heartbreaking because we were just about to commence our IVF journey to become parents at the point I was diagnosed. So when the nurse then asks you, is there any chance you could be pregnant? That was an incredibly triggering question for me. And on an already really difficult day, that just floored me. And she, 
and the poor woman, because I just dissolved into this kind of sobbing, <laughs> that kind of mess. <laughs> and she just looked at me and she said, oh my goodness. And the thing is, I don't want to go into all of that. I don't want to talk about it. But I had to get, you know, I had to give the, you know, no, no, there's no chance I'm pregnant. No chance. Are you sure? Please just, can we just change the subject? She said, well, Kerry, I'm, I'm awfully sorry, but we're going to have to ask you to take a, te a pregnancy test. I mean, is there anything more triggering for a woman that has been managing her ovulation, taking her temperature, taking pregnancy tests for the last two years? Is there anything more triggering on your day of surgery to remove a cancerous tumour to then have to take a pregnancy test? The reminder that pregnancy for you now is going to be a little way off. I mean, that's what I thought at the time. So I take my little cardboard bedpan there's no other way to say it it was a bedpan and I trundle off to the toilet in my backless gown my slippers and my dressing gown looking like an absolute rock star <laughs> into the toilet pee into the said cardboard thing and then think well I, how do I cover that up because you know I don't want to walk through a ward with my pee slopping about so I just put a little tissue paper over it because you know that disguises what it is right and I walked back into the ward and handed my piss-filled bedpan to a nurse who said, thank you very much, and off she went. And then I sit there, and of course, what that's done is created another level of anxiety. Like, what if I am pregnant? What if I'm, and then I do the, the I do the period maths. Well, you know, ovulation, you know, well, I, I could be. Oh, Jesus, what, what if? What if? So then, what was already a stressful day, there was then this added level of anxiety. And I just sat, and I stewed, and I stewed, and I worried, and I worried. So then... My surgeon came to see me and said, right, Kerry, you're moving to the afternoon list because we're waiting for your PCR to come, to come back, but that's fine. We anticipate all being well, you'll still be going home today. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, but do you understand there's a few things that we have to do now to prepare you for surgery? I sort of looked at him. He said, we did talk about this back in August. The key to that statement being back in August on the day you told me you, I had cancer and then everything else like I'm not going to take all that in I'm really sorry but anyway he very kindly calmly just explained to me that I had to go down had to go to x-ray because they were going to ultrasound me and basically x marks the spot over the tumor now that doesn't fill you with confidence I have looked at him and said x marks the spot yep just to make sure we go in on the right breast Kerry well fuck me sideways Right, okay, so then after that, you're going to go down to nuclear medicine. Why am I going there? Well, obviously, we need to inject a radioactive isotope into you so that we can see your lymph node when we go in to remove them. Right, could you just explain that to me? I'm sure you have. Well, we gave you a booklet. You gave me lots of booklets. I haven't read them, but can you just explain it to me? Essentially, what that means is they inject a trace element so an isotope into your breast that then drains through your lymphatic system to said lymph node that they're going to remove so remember I said a while ago your breast drains to that lymph so it drains so that radioactive isotope which is a dye goes through your lymphatic system and attaches itself to your sentinel lymph node so that they can see when they go in on surgery which lymph nodes they need to remove now what I should say at this point is that does not mean that those lymph nodes are cancerous it just means it shows them which lymph nodes that they need to remove. In other words, it's like a sequence. It goes into lymph node A, then B, then C, and so on and so forth. So it doesn't go from A to F to B. to. So it will go into lymph nodes A, B, C, D, and E. So they know that those are the five that they need to remove. And again, it doesn't mean that that is evidence of cancer. It just shows them the lymph nodes that they need to remove to then send to histology to look to see if they have a metastasis on any of them, if any of them are cancer positive. So, right, okay. Yep, so that'll just be a small needle into your nipple. Into my what now? In, into, into my, did you say my nipple? Yeah, now, I'm not good with nipples. Nipples? <laughs> I'm not good with needles. Never have been, never will be. I'm better these days, but still, I'm just not great with them. The idea of a, <laughs> of a needle going into my nipple, you're not happy with that. Yeah, oh, no, I'm not sitting. That's not sitting well with me, mate. <laughs> so it's that's fine. And then you'll have to sit. Just let the dye do its thing, and then you'll go into CT to make sure that it's gone into the lymph nodes. And then you'll come back and then sit, and then you'll be down for 
down to theatre. Right, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be sat around then. No, no, no. Right, okay. So in some ways, not a bad thing. But the idea then that I've got to have an injection into my nipple was then what occupied my headspace because, you know, ouch. So I'm sat waiting. The girl opposite me was in to have surgery on her hand. She and I were chatting. And then the nurse comes in and says, right, we're going to take you off down to see your, um, to have your ultrasound now on your breast. Right, okay, fine. Off she trundles with me. Now, I'm not one for silence. And I tend to fill silences either with really inappropriate humour or just really inappropriate questions. So there's me chatting to her and discover that her son, six-year-old boy, has just come through cancer treatment. Now, is there anything more humbling that when you hear a six-year-old child has come through what you're just about to go through? Obviously not breast surgery, but his own struggle with cancer treatment. You just kind of think to yourself, all right, Carrie, get a grip, you know? You can do this. If a six-year-old can do it, you can do this. Absolutely, you can do this. You've got it. She was lovely. She was very kind, very calm, took me into the ultrasound. I popped up onto the bed. You get very used to, at this point, just getting your boobs out for people. So, yeah, would you mind if I take your gown down? No, that's fine. There you go. There's my right. This is my breast. Um, Ultrasound on, bit of crayon, bit of felt tip, bit of X marks the spot. There you go. All done. Off you pop. Okay, right. Thanks. And I shared a picture on my social media of that. And it's essentially an arrow pointing to the tumour, which, you know, X marks the spot. Absolutely fine. No sooner have I sat my bum down back in the ward than I'm scooped up again to go down to nuclear medicine. And I think this was the moment for me that I first felt really unadulterated fear. Really just raw, sharp focus, fear. Because I walked into a room, there were two other women sat there, also in dressing gown and pyjamas, holding a rubber ball and just looking really frightened. Now, these women were a good 20 years older than me. Um, so, again, you kind of feel that frisson of anger that, you know, Jesus, I'm 45, really? Is this really? Is this happening to me? And anger is not something that I allow to take residence in me, but. I'm going to tell you girls, the last 10 months, I've spent a lot of it angry. But in that moment, I sort of looked at them and said, oh, you're, you're again, you know, just a reminder, I feel spaces with inappropriate. Oh, here for the same thing as me then. Oh, well, and they just sort of looked at me. Oh, shit. Foot in mouth once again. And I smiled and I just, I explained, sorry, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable. And when I'm uncomfortable, I just, I tend to make really inappropriate remarks. And one woman smiled at me and she thought, you know, it's okay. It's all right. And I said, well, you, have you had the injection? She said, yes. I said, no, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. That's all you can do. I'm just praying. And I, I honestly don't think I had really considered that this disease might take me until that moment. And in that moment, I suddenly thought, shit, like, holy fucking shit. What if, what if it has spread? What if it's everywhere? What if I don't have a year? What if, I mean, I'm not ready and you can feel, and that was the feeling that started that day and I don't think it left me. I don't think it's left me still, but you become more able to manage because you become more informed and you have more information. But at that moment in time, there's so much that you don't know and it doesn't matter what they tell you or how much advice they give you, or how much they think we don't think, your mind will always create a narrative. And, and my mind is very good at that. So I sort of said, oh, you know, was it, uh, how big How big is yours? Is it right breast, left breast? Oh yeah, mine's right breast. Oh, mine's left breast. Oh, it's this big, it's this big. And, you know, you're having conversations that you just never thought you'd have with other women about their tits. It's it's odd. So I said, oh, did the, the injection hurt? And they both said, nope, they didn't feel a thing. And you think, oh, well, they're just saying that to make me feel better and then my radiographer came to get me specialist in nuclear medicine lovely woman took me into a room I immediately say as I do with all injections I'm not very good with needles that's fine hop up onto the bed Mrs Knight and we'll get you sorted out so okay thank you so I'm lying back sort of breast exposed making small talk lovely weather well you know it's, it wasn't lovely weather it was pissing it down um and you know I'm just I'm not very great with needles and the next words I hear are, all done. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're all done. I didn't feel a 
nothing. I literally felt nothing. And she did, they don't give you a numbing cream, nothing. I just, I, I didn't feel a thing. Oh, that's it. She went, yeah, told you it wouldn't hurt. So for anybody that's listening, I promise you, although it feels scary, it doesn't feel sore. So put my gown back on, dressing gown, but she hands me the ball and says, you need to go and sit now in the waiting room for 10 minutes and then we'll take you into CT. So the CT scan is thorax, neck, just up to your neck and shoulders. Sorry, that's the postman that's just been. You get an insight into how Buddy treats our postman. Actually, no, it's not. It's not. It's a canvasser. Election canvasser. Anyway, moving on. So the CT scan is from your waist upwards, essentially. And obviously focusing on your armpit. And obviously for me, the first one didn't work. So I had to lie there and have another one. And again, the radiographer says time and time again, please, you know, if we can see a lymph node, that's a good thing because it means that it will make your surgery that much more straightforward. It is not an indication of a positive for cancer, a positive for having a metastasis on your lymph nodes. Yeah, okay. Do you know what though? It didn't matter how much he said that to me. In your head, you still have this. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Now, I have to really manage myself around that because my head is one of those things. It will just go off in all manner of different directions. So we're there. We've got a positive um, lymph node. It's there shining like a star in the sky. Fantastic. Off you go then, Kerry. Back to the ward. Sit down. Wait for surgery. So I went back to the ward, sitting there, reading my book. And it got to quarter past one. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to stay in overnight. If it's any longer, I'm going to have to stay in, stay in overnight. And then the unthinkable happened. My surgeon came in, Mr. Ferguson, and he started to triage me again. I said, well, I've, I've already been through this. I've been checked and had my markups checked. And he said, right, so you're in here for, um, I think, left side mastectomy. And I sort of looked at him and said, no, no, no. And he looked, so well, what? Well, this is you. And he showed me a different woman's notes. I said, no, that's not me. My name's Kerry Knight. Oh, oh. And he seemed, now this is the man that when he told me was cool as a cucumber. He seemed really flustered, really flustered. And he went back out to the ward. What's happening? Came back in and went, yep, terribly sorry about that. Just seems that we've got the wrong person. And now I looked at him and I said, I don't mean to sound rude, but that's not giving me much confidence. Oh, it happens all the time. Again, that's not giving me much confidence. Don't dismiss me. Don't give me platitudes. I want you to talk to me now about my surgery. Yep, yep, surgery, little bit of radiotherapy, maybe a little bit of chemotherapy and you'll be done. Okay, those are two words that you've not used with me in any level of certainty. So can we just go back? Chemotherapy? Highly unlikely, but always always a possibility. Just like that. Really kind of dismissive and matter of fact. And radiotherapy. Oh, you'll definitely have to have radiotherapy. You said possibly. No, 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 absolutely. You'll definitely have to radiotherapy. Now, I know that they're busy, but my God, I'm in for my surgery as curative, thinking that might be it, surgery and done. Now you're telling me it's surgery and definitely radiotherapy with a possibility that you might also have to have chemotherapy. I mean, what the actual fuck? And I just, I must have looked really pissed off because he just said, oh, you know, you were told when we met. Radiotherapy, I was like, no, Mr. Ferguson, I may well have been told that, but you just told me I had breast cancer. I didn't take all of that in. And that would be my only real criticism of the system is that at the point you're diagnosed and then given your treatment plan, there should be some distance. And if there isn't allowed to be distance, there should be a follow-up meeting to allow you to be clear about what it is that you're going into. Because it's too much to tell a woman she has breast cancer, to then tell her, all of the interventions that she might, it's too much in one day. And to then go into hospital for my first surgical intervention, which is my curative treatment, my curative element of cancer treatment, to be told then, yes, you'll definitely have to have radiotherapy. Well, shit the bed. That was just awful. And in that moment, my faith in what was happening that day plummeted. Now, that's not going to be everyone's experience, but that was mine. And it was pretty shit. It got worse because then he said... Oh, and it won't actually be me doing your surgery, Kerry. It'll be my um, registrar. She's very, be a consultant next year. Very good. She's marvellous. And you just sit there and think, are you, are you for real? 
Are you actually telling me this? Fucking Jesus Christ. So then in she came. Now I have to say, actually, she was a really, really lovely woman, but she wasn't Mr. Ferguson. She wasn't the man that I had put my trust and faith in that was going to get this tumour. She's a whole new person to me. She's somebody that I've got to sit and who are you and what's your qualifications and just like, holy, Kerry, it's all right. I've done, I do hundreds and hundreds of these. We'll get it. We'll go in and we'll get it. And do you know, because she was much more personable, she sat down next to me. She put a hand on mine. She gave me that kind of physical proximity that was so missing through COVID and just, she did her best to reassure me and I will be forever grateful to her for that because she did reassure me. So 20 minutes later, the porter comes in, right, Mrs Knight, we're taking you down to theatre now. You know, oh God. So I text my husband, I'm off. Love you very much. See you on the other side. Text me back, all good. So I go down into theatre. Now, theatres have never been, I've never, last time I was in theatre was to have a surgical um intervention for a miscarriage so they're not nice places for me they're very triggering I don't think they're nice places for anybody but for me this is you know I'm talking about my experience they're just they're just very triggering so I'm in my dressing gown in my slippers walking down to theatre chatting to the porter about his bank shifts and how busy he is and walk into theatre to be met with the nurse that had walked me to radio th- to the to have my ultrasound big smile oh thank god you're here Oh, your dressing gown, isn't that lovely? Or just take that off, you carry. And then I met my anaesthetist. Now, what a man. A huge creature of a man. South African. Very broad South African as well. Just very funny. Did his absolute best to make me chuckle. And he did make me chuckle. I got onto the bed. Right, let's make sure we get this in the right vein. I'm sorry if I've just butchered the South African accent. And the nurse talking to me as well takes my hand out, my left arm out, because the cannula went into my left arm, because they were operating on my right side, and chatting, well, let's see if we get, oh, nice veins, Kerry, good veins, we like these, and there was just joke after joke after joke, and I threw tears, because it was hugely emotional, lying on that bed, realising, going into theatre, I'm going to be cut open, but he made me chuckle, and then you get the mask put onto your face, and, uh, right, Kerry, I'm going to ask you to count back from 10, and again, I'm still chuckling. He said, right, 10. I don't remember nine. Gone. Absolutely gone. And the next thing I remember is coming to in recovery. And the voice of a nurse, Kerry, come on, Kerry. Time to wake up now. And I woke up, opened my eyes. And the first thing that hit me was pain. And like a burning sensation, just pain. And straight away, I'd, wow, were my first words. She said, right, I'm going to give you something for that. Don't worry. And straight away into my cannula went fentanyl. Now, let me tell you what a drug that is. Because seconds, it took seconds to take me from a pain scale of probably an eight or a nine to a two. It was wonderful. And I was smiling and I felt relaxed. And I had this beautiful, beautiful nurse, Rachel, who is my recovery nurse, who said, how are you feeling? Can I get you a glass of water? The surgery went really well. They've got really good margins. Like, right, okay, great. And, and they, did they get everything? Did they get everything? They got everything, Kerry. Oh, thank God. And I, I'm getting emotional now. <sighs> I just cried because being told that they'd managed to get everything was the best news. I was back. I was breathing. I'd come through the general anaesthetic and they'd got it all. They'd got that horrible cancerous tumour out of me 13 millimeters of cancer gone and I really in that moment just felt safe because I hadn't I wasn't at that point thinking of what was next I was just in that moment being looked after by this beautiful nurse she went to get the phone she went let's ring your husband let him know that you're out oh thank you so much so I got to speak to Jack 10 minutes after surgery really round yes I'm fine at which point he let some tears out because I now know that his fear was that I wasn't going to wake up from the surgery. <laughs> so to hear my voice, yeah, oh, that's my oh, babe. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. It's like, yeah, I'll let you know when you can come and get me. Can I go home today? Yep, should be fine to go home today. Oh, I'll let you know, darling. And then you spend about an hour in recovery and it's a very quiet, very peaceful place where the nurse is one-on-one to you. You feel safe. You feel held. You feel looked after. Now, 
I'm not going to lie to you. This might be different for everybody, but for me, my pain was not great. So I had two paracetamol and fentanyl and they keep saying, how's your pain? How's your pain? How's your pain? So I think I had about four lots of fentanyl. <laughs> I was flying. Four lots of fentanyl before the pain finally got to a place where I thought, yeah, okay, I, I can deal with that. That's all good. I had some toast. I had a cup of tea. And then they take you, right, we can take you back. No, I didn't have the tea in recovery. You have water in recovery. I'm like, right, Kerry, we're going to take you up to the ward now, get you ready for discharge. I'm like, great, okay, thank you. And I can't say enough about the recovery nurses. They are a breed of uniqueness that I don't think I've experienced anywhere else other than oncology nurses. Chemo nurses are also a different breed. So they take me up to the ward. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm sore, I'm a bit dopey. But as I'm wheeled into the ward, the young girl that I'd been chatting to was there sobbing. And I straight away was like, oh, oh, you OK? Are you OK? To which the nurse says to me, well, Kerry, should we, should we focus? And I said, well, you know, somebody, needs, somebody needs to go and see her. Look, she's she's in pain. Yeah, Kerry, so are you. You're just out of surgery. And I said, oh. So they wheel me into my bay, pop my, I have, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but the thing around your nose to have oxygen through you and sit there. Now, what I didn't say about the isotope that they inject into you is that it turns you into a smurf. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's a dye that will turn your right breast or the bit around your, your nipple blue. And that blue stays with you. My breast is still blue today, 10 months on. It stays with you for up to two years before it, it finally goes. So I'm actually a blue tit. But for the day of your surgery, because it's gone through your lymphatic system, it turns you a funny shade of like bluey gray. So I looked one, really, really poorly and unwell. Two, reminiscent of a Smurf. So I looked in a mirror and went, Jesus. So I have to text my husband, be prepared. I look really, really unwell. I'm, 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 I'm okay. Like, I'm okay. Don't panic when you see me. And you're given tea and toast, which was lovely. Really enjoyed my tea and toast. And after about an hour, I had to have a pee. So the nurse comes out and says, right, yeah, we can let you home, but you have to pee first. Like, right, okay, I don't need to pee. I've got one of those bladders that say, if you need to pee, no, I'm not going to, just not going to do it. I'm not going to pee on command. I'm not a performing monkey. So I sat and waited and waited. And after about 45 minutes, suddenly thought, right, yeah, I feel the urge. So I had to ring my bell. And a nurse comes and up you get then. So again, they're surgical nurses. They're not, you know, they just come up. They're very matter of fact, which I think is not a bad thing. Even though you're kind of there going, I hurt, I'm just in surgery. Please be nicer to me. In a way, their kind of clinical efficiency is quite a nice thing. It's up, it's reassuring. Let's get you to the loo. You can do it. You're perfectly capable. You're okay. It's like, right, okay. They don't force you. They just, they're quite assertive with you. So, you know, I had a little shuffle, a little wobble, another little shuffle, a little wobble. Because bear in mind, not only had I had quite a big anaesthetic, I'd also had a fuck ton of fentanyl, which is an opiate-based painkiller. So I was out of it, man. I was gone. So a little wobble back to the toilet, sit on the loo. And I, at this point, I'm just smiling all the time because I'm high as a kite. Just smiling, yeah? So you, how are you, Karen? Yeah, good. How are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, all good. Smacked off my tits. How do we come out? And the nurse says, that's fine. We can discharge you. So right, well, I need to ring my husband because we live 45 minutes away. Yep, fine. So rang Jack. You can come and get me now. Brilliant. So I sit there. She says, right, should we get you, should we get you changed? I'm thinking, oh, my God. And at this point, I haven't seen the the dressing. I haven't seen anything because I've still got my gown on. I've got my oxygen supply on. So she said, let's get you changed then. So she takes, to put your bra on. So I put my bra on very gently. Instant relief. As soon as that bra is on and supporting your breasts, the pain is markedly better. So she did it up for me at the back. Yep, fine. Is that comfortable? Just loosen the straps a bit. Fine. Yep. That's fine. Right, let's get your top on. So in terms of range of movement, I didn't have a lot. My left arm obviously is fine because I didn't have surgery on my left side. My right arm, I can't move. If I move it even a millimetre, ouch. So she just kind of helps me put the sleeve on through my right arm, round, left arm through, zip it up, all good. So I'm dressed, my bag is packed. And I go, right, so I know that my husband's outside. So I get someone's attention and say, my husband's outside, can I... Yep, let's get you discharged then. So they do all the discharge forms. Right, off you go. And I, I sort of looked at her and said, uh, well, I, I'm not sure I can walk. 
that far. It's a fair old trot to where my husband was picking me up. She's all, um, well, let me see if I can get a nurse to come and get... Now, this is, an, again, a, a gap for me in the system. Like, I've just had surgery. I've been back on the ward an hour. I'm wobbly on my feet because of the amount of pain relief I've had and the fact that I've had anaesthetic. If I walk to that surgery, I'm going to keel over or bump into somebody or get lost or... this it's, For me, that's not okay. So I had a matron that was going off duty. Come in and she said, she sort of gave me the impression that, yep, all right, I'll take you, but, you know, you're a right pain in the ass for making me do that kind of attitude. So I'm so afraid that in the face of that kind of attitude, I tend to get a little bit difficult. So she, I went to pick my bag up with my left arm and realised very quickly that if I had my bag in my left arm, I, I, I couldn't stay up straight, I couldn't walk. So I said, I'm sorry, would you mind carrying my bag? And she sort of looked at me, I said, I... I've just had surgery. Like, I don't think this is too much to ask. Uh, to which point she said, oh, no, of course, no, 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 that's fine. I said, well, and I just gave it to her. I thought, I'm not going to talk to you. You're just going to piss me off. So we got into the um, lift after I'd, you know, very gingerly shuffled my way forward. Um, my pain was not great because the gravity of my boob kind of, it was not great. And then, you, of course, you have the overwhelm. So I was a bit tearful, a bit emotional. She didn't say a word to me not a word we got down to the lift walked out she said is that your husband there in the blue car I said yeah yeah she said, there you go then gave the bag to my husband off didn't even look back didn't just just walked away I mean not I just a bit shit anyway it was so wonderful to see my husband it was so good he had a big hug gave me a big kiss and got into the car and just kind of thought yeah that's it we're home we can go home now the journey home was not fun every bump in the road <laughs> was felt so to any of you that are have this ahead of you all I will say is be prepared for the journey home to go slowly and to avoid potholes because you even if you hold your breast you'll still feel it so we got home I bought a pregnancy pillow because another top tip it will support you. It will keep you upright and stop you rolling from your sides. And you actually manage to get more sleep than I thought I would. So that night, get the pregnancy pillow, crawl into bed. And Jack and I are chatting. And I look down and in the crook of my right elbow, I have about 20 tiny little dark purple dots. I looked at it and said, they weren't there a minute ago. What's that? And I start to think, shit, something's, real. something's wrong here. Something's really wrong. So we have a number, you're given a number when you're discharged. Any problems, ring this number 24-7 and someone will, will talk to you. So we rang, the alarm was picked up. Really wonderful, lovely nurse. I said, I've just had a wide excision lumpectomy. I was discharged about five hours ago. Surgery was about eight hours ago. And I've developed these little small, like the size of a pinhead, but about 20, 25 of them, dark purple dots. Oh, any fever, any heat, any sickness. I said, nope, nothing. Other than that, I feel fine. I've got a bit of pain. I'm tired, but I feel fine. Any swelling? No. Any swelling down your arm? No. Any swelling in your fingers? No. Any swelling in your feet? No. Any swelling anywhere? No. Right. I'm just going to ring our on-call doctor and I'll come back to you. So, right. Okay, fine. So you put the phone down and both of us are like, oh God, we're going to go have to back, back to the rd &E. The doctor rings back in about 10 minutes and says, no, 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 it's trauma from your lymphatic system. So some blood has got into your lymphatic system and it's just how it comes out, like petechial bruising. So it's just bruising, it's nothing to worry about. However, if it gets worse, ring us back. So, you know, you sit there and think, Ugh. but then it makes sense, doesn't it? Because you have lymph nodes in your elbow and your armpit, it, it makes sense. But it's the weird, I felt like an avatar. It felt really, really strange. It resolved itself after a couple of days, but the one thing I will say to you is have a very low threshold of what you contact your, your medical or surgical team for. Don't sit there and worry. Don't sit there and think, I don't want to be a bother. Pick the phone up and ring. That's the one thing I've learned is low threshold. Pick that phone up and ring them. So for the kind of five to seven days post-surgery, I was pretty immobile, couldn't really do a lot. However, I started my exercises on day one. Two reasons to mitigate the risk of lymphedema. Lymphedema is fluid that can build up and go all the way along your arm. So your arm swells, your fingers swell. 
and something called cording, which is where you have a feeling like a tight cord between your breast surgery site and your elbow or your wrist. So it makes your range of movement really sore. So you exercise to bring blood flow to the area, to get range of movement through your muscles and your joints. And you start that the day after surgery, which for me, I was just sitting there thinking, Jesus, I can't lift up a kettle, but you're asking me to do, you know, lateral raises and front arm raises. And however, I'm compliant. So I did my exercises and I can say, as I sit here today, I'm nine months on from surgery, I think thereabouts. Um, I've had no lymphedema, touch wood, and I've had no cording, touch wood. So that feels brilliant. But your exercises, you have to do them. You do them twice a day and you do them as often as, uh, you know, every day. And I did mine for a lot longer than they told me to. I think I did mine for about three months. But for that first week, nothing. No hoovering, no picking a kettle up, no nothing. Sleep when you need to, but don't stay. You know, I didn't, I slept. I think I was in bed maybe for the first day, but maybe not even actually. I think I was, as I remember it, I was up and walking about fairly quickly because recovering from surgery, you're better to get up and get your heart pumping and your muscles moving than you are lying in bed. Now, don't misunderstand me. Everybody will be different. And if you feel the need to stay in bed, stay in bed. Just don't do that more than you do anything else. Moving, getting up, moving around the house. I know pain is difficult, but you're given painkillers. Move. And I know that my breast surgery recovery has been much better because I moved. I moved, I walked, and I actually went back to exercising fairly soon. About six weeks after surgery, I was back in the gym lifting weights. And my scar is very small. The scar under my armpit is very small. No lymphedema, no cording to date. So I'm very grateful for that. But actually, the journey back to feeling strong and fit and active post-surgery is not as long as you would think it's going to be. It really isn't. Your breast is very sore. I slept in my bra for two weeks, I think. And I only had baths because you can't get the um, wound site. What's the word I'm looking for? Wet. You can't get the wound site wet. So we managed we just we managed and then so I was bathing washing can't wash under the armpit can't get the area um wet at all so baths were my friend and of course Jack had to get me in and out of the bath because I couldn't do it on my own and taking your bra off when the weight of your breast sinks and you can feel the lump of tissue they've taken away was a really emotional moment. It was very painful. It felt really, in fact, just thinking about it now makes me want to hold my breast. It, it was the weirdest feeling. Um, and it's really sad. You kind of look and you see this dressing over your breast and you think, oh, what's under there then? What does that look like? How different am I going to look? How different am I going to feel? How weird is it going to be? Um, and bathing. But that was life. And slowly but surely, I got back to feeling stronger and my follow-up appointment came through for the 20th of October. And it was the 20th of October that you go in to have your dressings removed and to be told the results from your surgery. And those results will be clear margins, no further up, whether you need follow-up surgery, whether anything spread to your lymph nodes and therefore what more treatment you might need. But for today, I'm going to leave it there because we're approaching the one-hour mark a lot of information. I hope as always it was interesting and it was a useful insight into the surgical aspect of breast cancer treatment for my journey. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you again very soon. Lots of love. <laughs>